coming up on this episode of Up for Debate, our book club is back, and this week, I got to choose the book. Will it be a good one? You'll just have to tune in to find out. This is Up for Debate. I get to say that line again. It's Up for Debate, episode number 106, recorded March 8th, 2018. We read Devil in the White City. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Up for Debate, the debate podcast where the two hosts agree on everything. I'm Sean Jennings, joined as always by the disembodied voice on the phone, uh, the uh, the owner of our very own murder house, Mr. Matt Mariani. Uh, wicked good morning to you, or should I say salutations, Mr. Sean. You I believe that's probably the greeting that uh, I imagine they would say in this time period. Yeah, Matt. Do you do do you do a a, a late seventeen hundreds or nineteen no late eighteen hundreds Chicago accent? Uh, say there, sweet lips. What's the good word? I felt I like got. I was transported That's the best there. I got. <laughs> That's the best I got. You go for it. Oh boy, Give me I don't your know, best, Matt. Uh, your I'm... best turn of the century, Chicago. You know, and I think people will, will guess where I'm going with this before I do it. Rather than try and be accurate, I'm just going to go over the top. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Chicago World's Fair. That sounds like the guy from The Simpsons that works at the uh, movie theater. Oh, oh, who, who's like the, 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 kid, the young the, guy? Like, yeah. Teenage kid, yeah. Yeah. That's what that sounded like. It's kind of my just screaming crazy person voice. Uh, that's not at all how I imagine anybody in this book spoke. I don't think anyone in reality has ever spoken that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. definitely not. No. But, uh, yeah, that's, 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 you know, you get a, what do they say? A for effort, right? That was an F for effort, but an A for comedy. <laughs> so, uh, I hope people enjoyed wow. that. Now, Matt, uh, another entry in our book club recently, uh, people can go back and listen to our episode on Of Dice and Men. Uh, while we didn't like the book, it was still a good episode, so people should check that out uh, previously on the book club. We've done a series of these, and this is our latest, Matt. And this, as I mentioned in the opening, is the first one I got to pick. What a treat. <laughs> Lucky me. Uh, and so Matt, I will, we'll just start off with, with, uh, oh, I should mention the name of the book, Devil in the White City. Uh, Eric Larson is the author. The book came out in 2003, uh, National Book Award finalist that won a bunch of other awards as well. Uh, a Edgar Award for Best Fact Crime, New York Times bestseller. Now, Matt, I'll just start with this. The general question, what'd you think of the book? Um, I liked it. You know, I liked it. Um, I thought that it was a very easy read. Uh, I felt like I learned something new on, on one of my notes I wrote down. Uh, like I, I learned something new on every page. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, oh, I, yeah. I really genuinely did think that I learned a new fact. Or if it's something as simple as uh, I wrote down, um, Archduke Franz Ferdinand attended this fair. Yep. Along with like, like six other famous, very famous people like the uh, President William Henry Harrison or Benjamin Harrison, one of the two. And uh, I I loved when they the the President of France, like there was a whole bunch of uh, really famous people. 
Well, and the, the author loved to do that throughout the book. Dump in those. I, there was just one that comes to my top of the head was there like, yeah, there, there was a, a furniture maker and carpenter who worked on the site uh, and told of the great sights his saw. His name was, uh, shit, I'm forgetting his first name. It was it was Earl Disney. And he would go home and tell yeah. his young son, oh, Walt, right. about the wonderful yeah. things he had seen. <laughs> and it's like just little, little shit like that. And it was so great because this like dollar to data ratio, like you got your money's worth out of just the the, the just quantity of facts and like interesting things like per word per sentence was off the charts. Oh, totally. And I think that might've been my favorite part of this book. Um, just the, the sheer volume of, of interesting trivia. Well, and um, it, it was great because we complained when we, when we uh, read uh, console wars, which we liked as a book, but one of our complaints was that it had too many asides and some of the asides weren't, necessarily related to the plot of the book this, these are the kind of asides i really like where they're close enough to the topic at hand but still interesting throw-offs there was a there was a great one i wish i had bookmarked it because the way it read was excellent but the book uh throughout the first part of it tells the story of a of a man who goes to try and find the pygmies uh overseas mm -hmm. and and every couple chapters they sprinkle in a little paragraph of oh he finally made it there oh they got word he could they could bring all the pygmies he wants and then just randomly out of nowhere there's a little like a two-sentence paragraph uh that he died and was never found oh yeah <laughs> and it and just it comes completely out of nowhere but the way the book is written it's so i laughed out loud several times yeah. throughout the book it's just casually uh like he's just when you least expect it to, um, they bring him up. <laughs> there, there's a, there's another good example, and I'll read this very quickly. But um, they, they, you know, we'll, we're going to start to get into the the body of the book here. The the Ferris wheel premiered uh, at the uh, 1893 Chicago World's Columbian Exposition Fair, which is what the book is about. Uh, and there's a great section in here, and I loved the way it was written because it talks about a man who got on the Ferris wheel and had a breakdown. Um, a peaceful man named uh, Durit. Uh, he was fine until the car began to move. As it rose, he began to feel ill and nearly fainted. He staggered in a panic from one end of the car to the other, driving passengers before him like scared sheep. He began throwing himself at the wall of the car with such power that he managed to bend some of the protective iron. The conductor and several male passengers tried to subdue him, but he shook them off and raced for the door where it shook it and broke its glass, but could not get it opened. As the car entered its descent, where it became calmer and laughed and sobbed with relief, pause, until he realized that the wheel was not going to stop. It always made two full revolutions. And just, <laughs> ju and just that word again went wild. I, you know, just, just the way that was written, you could have written that any number of ways, but the way it was put together where I did not, you know, you had to flip the page to get the bit of the reveal where it's like, oh yeah. no! And, and I, I really started <laughs> laughing at that. And this book had a lot of that. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the right, yeah, the writing style yeah. of the book. The, I, I think that um, the writing style was, um, it, it was it was narrated in in a way that the author seemed like he desperately wanted to be having a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. I think you saw that they're talking about a um, uh, a piece of music that uh, somebody was composing for the fair. Uh, it was it was a 
the like Arabian exhibit or something, and he actually has it written out like like the piece of music is that really famous but he like he has it written out phonetically, so you have to like sing it like hum it to yourself um i I just I like that I always like when when authors write in a more free form style like they they don't really um not really wordy or verbose. It just kind of feels like they're naturally talking to you. Um, and that's what I felt like. I, I felt like there was this, this guy that was like, hey, did you hear about this this World Fair thing that went on and this crazy murder that was also there? I'll tell you a whole story about it. Like yeah. It felt, it felt very very natural, I guess. It's not academic at all. I think, I think it was written in a way that we're in on, I don't want to say the joke of it, but we're in on the humor, uh, and the guy is almost saying, look at how ridiculous this was. Can you guys also see how ridiculous it was? And it's, and I think that's what, you know, this could be written in a very textbook, like A happened, then B happened, then C happened. But the way it's written, where events are sort of staggered, uh, the way I think he does a great job building suspense, not necessarily in like that intense suspense, like, oh my God, what's going to happen way, but in just letting a story unravel over time throughout throughout paragraphs, throughout chapters, even throughout the whole book, where he'll tease something or a hint at something. I use the Ferris wheel as a good example. The first time I read it, I did not know what he was talking about. He starts out talking about a young... Um, a young engineer who had an idea and they said it was impossible to build and it would kill people and there's no way you can do it and he persisted and it isn't until the last minute he reveals the man's name is Ferris and that's at that point you realize it was the Ferris wheel. I had no idea. I was so blown away at how well he set up and it was multiple chapters he took to kind of let this story breathe and and I think that's kind of what made it fun is every time you get this nice little whoa moment uh, as you're going through the book. Yeah, he's very good at the cameo, isn't he? Or like the the casual name drop. It's like, oh, oh yeah. Tell you the whole story, and then in the end, oh, that man went on to become president of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt. Yep, like, yep. Oh, Mark Twain visited the fair, <laughs> but he was sick in his hotel room for 11 days and never actually saw it. And you're like, that's crazy. Yeah. The, the extensive amount of research um, that went into this this project, uh, I was blown away by. I was impressed by how well-researched the author was. Well, especially um, for a story that's over 100 years old. You know, if this book were written oh, about yeah. something in the 80s or the 70s, there'd be a lot more sort of research material. But for this, I mean, there, there was sure. n- n- video didn't exist. There were barely photographs at the time. I mean, for there to be such a detailed account is, is pretty incredible. And and this is an event that gets widely glossed over, I think. Absolutely. In the academic world. Oh, for sure. I mean, um... Did, did not, you know a lot about anybody, it going in? No. No, absolutely not. I, I definitely didn't know um, uh, nearly the amount... If I had even known half of the things that he had mentioned in the story, half of the crazy, crazy and interesting things. I, I, I mean... I knew that the World Fair had happened mm-hmm. and that it, it was very famous at the time, but just all of the things that, uh, the things that the author brings to light, um, about how significant it was, the rivalry going on with various countries in Europe, especially France. It was like America's chance, first real chance to prove itself as an innovator. Um, the stakes were, were a lot higher than, uh, 
than I think anybody knew. Um, and I give him a lot of credit. I give him a lot of credit for uh, for researching a topic that I think most of us would probably, I mean, probably not say is the most interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, really made it extremely interesting and uh, made me want to know more about it. Absolutely. No, those are those are some of my favorite kinds of books or topics that aren't, I, you know, I don't want to read a book about World War II, no offense to World War II, but it's like it's been done to death. And, you know, there are a lot of sure. times and periods in history like that. I love, there's another great book. I pro, I, I'm confident at some point we'll get to it on the book club maybe not right on the heels of this, called uh, One Summer by Bill Bryson. It's it's just about the summer of 1929. And all the and it's similar to this, where it's just all the crazy stuff that happened in the summer of 1929. It's an awesome read. And those are the kind of books I'm like, because I didn't know anything about it going in. And you leave thinking, wow, I've just learned something so interesting about a period in, in history that had a lot of impact on today that I had no idea. Awesome. Yeah. Um, if he transports you back to uh, this time when I think we we joked we joked about it briefly, at, like probably off uh, off uh, camera or off podcast. I think you mentioned like the the people back then were just like so different, so unassuming. So trusting, um, and and the way that he depicts the two cities, like uh, the white city and the black city, as he calls it, like the light and the dark, um, it, it makes Chicago seem a combination of this idyllic, free thing, like forward thinking, or uh, like free society. At the same time, it's extremely. Uh, menacing place where you know killers hide in the shadows. Well, there, I, you know, he 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 writes in a way. There, there's a great. I love how the book opens, and I'll read. I love reading excerpts from the books on the show, as if the people listening haven't read the book. But uh, he starts with how easy it was to disappear. A thousand trains a day entered or left Chicago. Many of these trains brought single young women who had never seen a city, but now hoped to make one of the biggest and toughest their home. The women walked to work on streets that angled past bars, gambling houses, and bordellos. Vice thrived with the official indulgence. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Anonymous death came early and often. Each of the thousand trains that entered and left the city did so at grade level. You could step from a curb and be killed by the Chicago Limited. Every day, on average, two people were destroyed at the city's rail crossings. Their injuries were grotesque. Pedestrians retrieved severed heads. There were other hazards. Streetcars fell from bridges. Horses bolted and dragged carriages into crowds. Fires took dozens lo- dozen, a dozen lives a day. In describing the fire dead, the terms the newspapers most liked to use was roasted. There was diphtheria, typhus, cholera, influenza, and then there was murder. Uh... And then there's a great line, Never before in civilization have such numbers of young girls been suddenly released from the protection of the home and permitted to walk unattended upon the city streets and to work under alien roofs. Who describes a place like that? (laughs) That's crazy. But it's so true, true, and it really does transport you there. You're like, I had no idea. If you would ask me, Sean, what was Chicago like at the turn of the century? I would have been like, I have no clue. It probably sucked, but like that would have been the extent (laughs) of it. But that sort of like... 
it's not flowery language, but it's just very well-written descriptive language, really transport you, you there, and you're like, wow, this place is so fascinating. Yeah. And um, I, I think the, uh, the, the, the train seems to be a common motif throughout this book, or like the transportation, right? Sure. He talks about um, uh, many people using the train to escape or to hide or to disguise themselves. Um, I, I just, I love the, uh, I love the, the use of the terminology, like the Pullman, like the Pullman, the Pullman car. The yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it, it, he really contextualizes like why, right? Like the motivations behind these murders. Um, you know, it was a time when uh, relative anonymity could be achieved very easily from what it seems like. I mean, it, you know, like it, it almost runs like a dark comedy, right? It, oh, that's, absolutely. At least that's the way, that's the way that I interpreted the, the pieces he wrote about H.H. H. Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, seemed de- very much like a dark comedy because he's murdering all these women and after he murders one after the other, you're like, surely somebody is going to catch on to this. Every blunder, every conundrum, everything seems to break his way. And you're just like, there's no way that, that they, they haven't caught on yet to what's going on in this guy's murder house. Yeah, well, there, there's a, a, a another great quote that I wrote in my notes um, talking about someone he had come in to install a vault in his murder house, and it said, why, yeah. why anyone would even want a soundproof vault was a question that apparently did not occur to him. <laughs> and it's like, there's so many opportunities in the book, and you're right, it is a bit of a comedy at some point. I was laughing where I'm like, oh my God, you people are ridiculously silly about the things this man was able to get away with at at the time. Yeah, that, that was the part that did it for me, I think. It was, not only was it a soundproof one, it was, a, I think it was like a, a body size. Oh yeah. His body size furnace like that. that, that no one yeah. put the pieces together. Like, Hmm, that looks That's suspiciously one, yeah. like a cremation furnace. <laughs> and, oh, there was, and he was ordering a, he was ordering an unusually large supply of chloroform. Yep. From the local druggist. And when the um, when the druggist behind the counter asked him why he, what he was using the chloroform for, he responded um, for scientific experiments. To which the you know the druggist sold him the the chloroform. Uh, when he went back the next day to order more chloroform, then the druggist said something along the lines of, "Oh, how are those scientific experiments going?" And he responded, what scientific experiment? Yeah. I think that's, yeah, it's not paraphrasing, but there is a part in the book where he yeah. says that. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It's great. It's... <sighs> it really no is point, bad. Anybody was like, you know what? Maybe I better have somebody check this out. Like, this just isn't sitting right. Something about this, you know? Maybe yeah. we better call the authorities in on it. Well, that was an interesting theme in the book, and I was trying, as I was reading this book, I was constantly like, God, how much things have changed in the hundred plus years since this these events occurred. And it's just one of those things where maybe today we're too suspicious of the things around us to maybe a fault, 
but at the time, he was a, a trustworthy, seemingly wealthy, respected man in the community, and these things just didn't these things just didn't happen in, in the way he was doing it, or at least people weren't familiar. There weren't really detectives. The the police were not equipped to handle such a case. Um, and I think, you know, Chicago being the city as it is, we described how absolutely bonkers it was. Um, it, it's, it's, I, I want to say I'm surprised, but as you're reading this book, you're like, I kind of get how he got away with it for so long. Like, it's not that far fetched that this kind of thing could happen. And who knows how many times it happened and the guy just never got caught. You know, he sure. always got caught that, you know, that's. That's the only reason we know this story is 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 because he he got busted and someone put the pieces together. Yeah, uh, it was it's a great book. I I I think that the the contrast works so well. Yeah, the contrast because because even even between the two, he's really telling two stories here, right? Mm-hmm. He's telling the main stories are the architects, the planners uh, who went into that, that went into to, to the financiers that went into uh, actually designing and building this world's fair in Chicago. The, um, what was it the 1898 world's fair? 1893. 1893. Okay. 1893 world's fair. So, um, that's the one part of the story. And then the other, the other part, of course, the H.H. H. Holmes murders that were going on in the same city at the same time, oftentimes uh, carrying over and, and blending in. Kind of use the fair as uh, a, a security blanket in a way to distract people, like as a distraction and also as an attraction for his victims. Um but I like the way that he told each story and why and how it was different. I think it really worked. I think that the the because uh, because you're rooting for the planners to you know pull everything off without a hitch because he really gets you to sympathize with them uh, and to root for them. But then at the same time, you know the the H. H. Holmes, you're, you're rooting that somebody is going to stop them. And and I just it's really interesting. I, I've never really experienced that in there. There's not too many, not too many stories. Certainly not too many works of uh, works of history where you experience that. You know, history tends to be kind of like it is what it is. But he really does get you to support um, the motivations of certain characters, which I thought was really cool. Well, and while at the same time rooting against others. I, I agree with you. I think the the sort of telling the two, interweaving the two stories is very smart. I think there's another version of this book that's not as good that is just a really, whitewash is a funny term referring to the fair, but a whitewash version that just tells the story of just the planners, just the fair, gives very little outside context of that, and in the end they succeed, and I think that's a much more boring book. I think you need the the gritty descriptions of Chicago and the details about the city because I do think the city is a major character in this book, um, in both stories. And I think you need the Holmes story as well to counteract that. And and, and these characters could come off as one-dimensional. You look at uh, Daniel uh, Burnham, who is the, 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 the lead architect, really the person who put the fair together, sort of the, 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 the 
most important character in the book. And a book just based on him would probably be very boring. I, I don't think that he would come off looking like a hero. And I love that you leave the book of him feeling like a, all these guys end up feeling like way more complex characters because so much context is given and so many different stories are told. Uh, a story just about the fair, or just about one of these designers, or even just about Holmes, I don't think is as complete and as successful of a book as 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 this book became and I, and I'm glad they they interwove it in in that respect. I also I also think that there's something special about a story of a of a group of people and this is frankly true of the fair end of Holmes deciding to attempt and then actually succeeding in an impossible task. It it's sort of a, such an appealing story as a human being to look as you read this book, and 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 they emphasize so early on, this is impossible. You cannot do this. It, it it is impossible. And you look at Holmes, as they start teasing, like he's going to do all this shit, and you're like, there's no way he's going to do it. He's going to get caught. He's going <laughs> to fail. At, at what point is the eight millionth creditor finally is going to bust him? And they never do. And as you go through this book, you're like, it's impossible. They can't do it. They can't do it. And at the end, you feel so good. It, it re reminded me a lot of of the moon landing. I think is a good parallel where it's like how did they even do it? You just got a group of people together and they just busted ass and it took immense scale and immense immense numbers of people and money and, and resources and they accomplished something great in the case of the fair and terrible in the case of Holmes. But it, it's such, it, inspiring isn't the right word, but it's just such a, a, a relatable story to these characters that like they did it, you know? And there, there's just some, there's, there's a real great feeling i think that's why you feel so good reading this at the end because it feels earned it feels like an earned victory i think you could write the book in a way that feels like a cheap victory like yeah we knew they were going to win in the end and of course these guys are the most brilliant amazing guys on the planet and they're perfect and of course they did it but this book doesn't paint it that way it's like wow they really by the skin of their teeth did it and 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 wow congratulations and that's really i think what i enjoyed enjoyed most about my feeling coming out of reading this book yeah, I wrote down a true underdog story. Oh, absolutely. And I think it really was. Um, gosh, these guys just had such, such, such shitty luck, I think. And a lot of <laughs> a lot of different uh, things really didn't break their way. And I really appreciate, by the way, I think you really like contextualize what I was trying to say with that like that that contrast of stories. I think you put you put it in a great uh, in great terms, like. Yeah, H.H. H. Holmes had such amazing luck. I, I have a feeling he was, like, siphoning the luck from these guys because um, everything went his way, and, it, and or at least until the very end when he gets caught. But um, for a long time, it really seemed like he was just going to keep killing people, and uh, really nobody was going to stop him. Uh, and right around the time that his luck turns, you know, so so goes the uh, the fair planners. Their, their luck changes for the better. So yeah, it really it really ended up being like a a feel good ending, but at the same time a little bittersweet because you're like, well, if they had only caught this maniac sooner, maybe you wouldn't have killed all those people. But a lot of people. Um. But yeah, and I was, it was, uh, and I, I, I think I agree. I, I don't think that this book works without both stories. It would definitely be a different kind of story. And I, I think that it would be worse off. So, um, it really was, it was just a great, a great, uh, marriage. I would love to see 
how the author, like what his thought process was. Did you happen to, I don't think it said it in the introduction or no. I didn't read the editor's notes. No, I didn't see, I didn't see anywhere. The interesting thing is um, the author, Eric Larson, he's written uh, a number of books at this point. Uh, this was, I think his third book, fourth book. But what's interesting is his other books have similar, are written in a similar manner. I've already, I have picked up a copy. Uh, I haven't read it yet. It's sitting on my shelf and it's called, uh, shoot. I have to look it up now. Um, but the, uh, it's, this is not interesting to hear me just sort of ramble on while I quickly Google Thunderstruck is the name of the book. But what's interesting is is he kind of does the same thing where he parallels at the same time Marconi, the Italian genius who invented radio as we know it, um, and Howley Harvey Crippen, who uh, was a killer uh, being chased by the Scotland Yard. It's actually a very similar... A similar... Uh, mm, yeah, motif. A similar motif. motif. Um, yeah, he, in The Garden of Beasts was another one where he talks about um, Berlin during the time of Hitler... Uh, in his first year in power in 1933. So he's written a number of books. Um, how he approached this one specifically, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Well, it definitely works. Um, and uh, I understand that much like uh, our first book club book, Ready Player One, um, Devil in the White City will be a at least the talks are right now, will be a feature-length film pretty soon. Yeah, no, the the rights were optioned a few years ago. I tried to Google and find out some more details around that. There hasn't been a lot of buzz. Uh, the last sort of update on it was a, a little while back that um, Leonardo DiCaprio owns the rights. He stated he wants to play Dr. Holmes, um, and the film is to be directed by Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know, I man. Is that, that is that good casting? Uh, well, I mean, if he, if Mr. DiCaprio owns the rights, I mean, he is well within his rights to cast himself, and I, I think he'll do a pretty good job of it. I, I don't doubt that he won't. Uh, I don't think he'll. Uh, you know, I I don't think there's anything that precludes him to not play H. H. Holmes. But I'll tell you one thing: there's somebody who I think would be absolutely perfect in this role and actually you know when you read um when you read a book and you have you kind of have an actor or, or a particular like you, you see him in your head right sure. you see you see him in your head sure um any time i was reading the part of hh H. holmes i envisioned him being played by daniel day lewis and um that's anyway that's who i would my pick would be I could see that. Daniel Day-Lewis. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But again, it's uh, it's um, DiCaprio's movie now. I think Scorsese will do a great job directing, oh, sure. and I think I think that DiCaprio will definitely pull it off. I think he's got the charm factor for sure. Um, I think he'll be. It'll be very similar to his uh, rendition of Mr. Candy in uh, Django Unchained. Now, who would you cast to play Daniel Burnham? Uh, Burnham? 
the 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 other major character in the yeah. book. I'm trying to think uh, who I <laughs> I pictured a I didn't really picture a particular like actor. Um, but uh, let me think. I think I would probably go with like uh, like uh, who's that the guy that played um, Robert Baratheon in uh, Game of Thrones. I've never seen Game of Thrones. Okay, he he was he's also in uh, uh, Still Standing. I think is the name of the show. There's like a sitcom. Let's Google that. Still Google it up. That's the guy that. Are, I, that are I you sure thinking. it was Still Standing? Yes. Mark Addy. Yep. That's him. He was also in Game of Thrones. Can you confirm that? Yes, Robert Baratheon, correct. Robert Baratheon, yes. That would, that's the guy that I would oh, choose. That is an interesting choice. Yeah, that's that's the type of person that I pictured when I read Burnham's character. And you know what's crazy? A bit overweight. Yeah, yeah, if you look at a picture of Burnham, he looks very similar. Really? Yeah, not like one-to-one, but close enough. Yeah, that's, I don't know, just the way that they kind of describe him and the way he like uh carried himself in the book i guess sure that's uh that was that character i guess that actor fits fits his personality in my mind i like it yeah i like it um now matt let's uh Let's talk about the the fair for a second. The World's Columbian Exposition, held to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the New World in 1492, uh, competed against heavily New York City, D.C., St. Louis wanted to host it, but it ended up going to the city of Chicago. Um, uh, Quite an interesting affair. More than 600 acres, nearly 200 new buildings, uh, canals, lagoons, people and cultures from 46 countries. More than 27 million people attended the fair during its six-month run. Uh, at the time, it was constructed by the largest ever non-military force uh, ever constructed in America. Um, it cost nearly a billion dollars, what would have been a billion dollars today. Uh, at one point, the the largest ever world record for an outdoor event attendance drawing 751,000 people on a single day. Um, in total, it attracted uh, something like, tw- uh, I said 27 million people, but you got to remember the population of America at this time was like, what, 60, 80 million? So, uh, I- incredibly impressive. Yeah. Um, just, uh, that's, that's part of the amazing thing about this book. It, it, it talks about this event that I think most of us have never even heard of, let alone um, let alone know the significance of. Uh, and it it it, uh, it magnifies it and and kind of uh, lights it up, if you will. Well, that's and I loved throughout the book. It, it you know I thought it would get old and it never did. Every time they said. Such a thing had never been done before, or they didn't know how they were going to do it. They were talking about the Ferris wheel, which is bon- which is crazy, because I didn't even know this is where it originated from. But they're like, yeah, the big sprocket in the middle was the single largest steel thing that had ever been cast in history. 
And it was also the heaviest thing to ever be lifted at the time because they had to get it up on the thing. And it was the biggest thing they ever put on a train. And it was like all these firsts. And I'm like, that's crazy. And this fair had so many of those uh, throughout it, whether it was, you know, the, the, the largest installation of electricity, choosing to go with alternating current versus direct current and, and sort of directing how electricity worked in, in, in America. Uh, they had a great quote from a young girl from Poland who had never seen electricity, never mind at the scale that the fair was um was conducting and 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 she said look at all these lanterns and they said they're not lanterns they're lights they were so bright and she said but how, but were, they were lit without matches she couldn't believe it uh and and it was just little things like that sprinkled throughout the book that give you a good sense of the place and time but also that for this one event at one time so many things had to happen that had never been done before um and yet almost all of them happened yeah um, it, it made you it made you want to go back and and kind of witness it for the first time and just witness how many things that we would have taken for granted being at that World's Fair, but like things that are super common to us today, but back then would have been um, would have been pretty amazing. Well, and what amazed me uh, most of all is that the entire thing and what 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 amazing short sightedness, the whole thing was built to be temporary. The whole thing was designed to be torn down in a few months. That they spent all this time and money creating all of this beautiful record breaking. That what was it the 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 tallest indoor building ever the largest indoor building ever created and all these records they set with these crazy buildings and then they just bulldozed them down because they were designed to be. Like that's that's insane. You would never do that today. Yeah. Um, the, the buildings that uh, the buildings that they described, I think that one of one of them was it could it could house the entire like the entirety of Central Park. It was some yeah. kind of like really crazy statistic. All in this arena. Yep. Um, and I, just just like picturing that, even by today's standards, it, it's pretty extreme. Yeah, I mean, it, um, it, it, they said you needed two weeks to see the whole fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the amount of, of uh, strikes that went on during the fair... Uh, I thought that was a really interesting aside. Like, not not only was was um, the forces of nature against them, but um, economic factors played a role too in deterring them from from achieving this goal. It was it really just seemed like this fair was not going to happen. And as I was reading it, I was like, "There's they're not going to be able to do this. Like, how are they going to?" How are they going to get this fair off the ground? It, it, it like seemed like it was dead on arrival, but um, they pulled it off. They did. They did. It moved now, people to tears. Sean, if, if you were to be uh, critical of any part of the book, um, what would you say is the is the least charming part of this book? Uh, what do you what do you think it does the least well? Yeah, it's a good a good question. Um, I will say I think 
<sighs> I think... I just think my issue, and, and it's a hard one to solve, it's just that it's a it's just a dense book. It's it's a long one to read. It's it's longer than one I would traditionally read. Um I, I agree that I don't think you'd want to strip out the entire home story, the entire fair story, but I do think it could be condensed a little bit. Um I will also say that uh I'm a big rereader of books. I reread books all the time. In fact, I don't like reading new books, I just like reading the same books over and over. And uh in rereading this book I felt it didn't have as good of reread value for whatever that's worth compared to some other books um, for for whatever reason. I, I, I don't I don't have a lot a, a lot to be too critical of other than it just it did as much as I enjoyed what it covered, it covered a lot. It covered a lot uh, and and at times it just I, I didn't finish it. Matt, I didn't, I didn't finish my reread in time for the show. That's how long it took. And I'm a speed reader and I fly through books and this book, I did not have time to finish. So it is, it is a long one to get through. Um, I don't know. What did you have anything you, you critical you had for the book? Um, it's, it's tough to find criticisms because he does, he does write so well. If, If I had to say, any criticism jeez i think it it um i i thoroughly enjoy it i really have to say i, I enjoy every part of this book i guess my criticism would be that Maybe it gets a little bit too cha- too tangential. Like, uh, some once in a while, it'll it'll go off the rails a little bit, but usually it does a good job of coming, bringing itself back to the topic at hand. I guess it it, it kind of um, it kind of covers so much ground with you know the trivia and the minutiae that it it stirs in that sometimes I was sometimes it, like it was hard to keep track, right? Mm-hmm. It was hard to keep track of what the original like intent of that like each each segment was, each uh chapter and sub chapter. Just cause it did kinda like go all over the place with the pacing. Um and and it, it it was a little jarring. It was a little jarring to go back and forth between the the two worlds, the world of the fair, the world of homes. Uh, but wow, what a great job it does putting yourself in the head of each character. Yeah, like putting putting your your, your you as the reader in the headspace of each character. It does a great job of explaining their motivations, their desires. That's, that's probably the part I like the most is that it, it really conveyed why each character was doing a certain thing for why they, they like, you know, why the fair mattered to Burnham, why the murdering people mattered to, uh, to Holmes, even something like that that I didn't think 
much of. You know, he said he said somewhere in the book, like, some people are really good singers, others are really good musicians. My I was put on this earth to, to murder people. You really believe that was talent. Yeah. I know, I I agree. I mean I think I think like well, I think we both mentioned this. I mean, I think there were parts where he took five sentences to say something he could have said in one. You know, I felt yeah, that, that some sure. consolidation could have happened, but I agree that the the way he used little tidbits to inform the bigger story really reinforced what you got in the main parts of the story. And there was I dog eared one of the, the corners of a page for this little aside, this is the whole section of the page, okay, about Holmes. And I just thought this was was funny and interesting and just a good example of an aside that he might give. A woman named Strowers occasionally did Holmes's laundry. One day, he offered to pay her $6,000 if she would acquire a $10,000 life insurance policy and name him beneficiary. When she asked why he would do such a thing, he explained that upon her death, he'd make a profit of 4000 but in the meantime, she'd be able to spend her 6000 in whatever manner she chose. To Mrs. Strowers, this was a fortune, and all she had to do was sign a few documents. Holmes assured her it was all perfectly legal. She was healthy and expected to live a good long while. She was on the verge of accepting the offer when Holmes said to her softly, don't be afraid of me, which terrified her. And that's the whole aside. That's the whole thing. That's the whole story. That one little tidbit just came out of nowhere. But it just reminds you of who this character is, what he's about, and reinforcing the narrative that you've already created throughout the book. And I think that constant reinforcement through these little tidbits that that keep you interested in going through the story are really are really fun. Are really fun as as the book rolls on. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I really like that passage of the book because, <laughs> especially the part with he throws in "Don't be afraid of me." It's like you, you just you get you get like the chills just listening to that as he said, like as um, Holmes says that. I mean, I know that uh, when I when I heard that, I was like, "This guy is creepy." Yes. Oh no, he he is. <laughs> The, the the quantity of stories that go with that guy are bonkers. It, it really is that. You're like, there's no way he pulled more crazy shit than what he's already pulled in the first half of the book. And then you get the second half of the book, and you're like, this dude is like on a whole nother level. It's crazy. And to think of, of how many guys like him might have been out there before we had such a well-written, well-researched copy uh, of someone's story is, is really incredible. And how you could not get away with this today. Oh no way, no way. That that's uh, that that was the part that was more like a like a dark comedy than anything else. Um, just that it, it seemed like everything he did, you were like, oh, that's gonna get him caught, and nope. Somehow he got away with that. Um, with that too. It's, it's, this guy had like nine lives. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, Matt, we're coming up on the end of the show. If you can believe it, time flies when we're, we're wow. having fun. But um, I, I want to give you an opportunity to give maybe uh, your summary thoughts on, on the book. Um, yeah, uh, in general, really positive, uh, which was a, oh, definitely a welcome change from our last, our last book. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. 
what a uh, what a, a contrast this was. Welcome contrast. Um, very um, well written. It wasn't wasn't verbose. Just uh, kind of got right to you know what what needed to be said. Uh, I, I really liked the adventure. I really liked the adventure. Uh, he presented the fair in, in a way that I think uh, someone back then who would have been enthusiastic for the fair would have presented it. Mm-hmm. Um, he himself seemed very excited about the prospects and the impact of the fair. So that always helps when the, the writer has an investment. Uh, I felt like he was invested in in the, the research that he did, and he did a lot of research for sure. Um, so it read really well. It was uh, very interesting to find out all these these little parcels of knowledge that were scattered throughout. It's almost like an Easter egg hunt of knowledge, picking up little. Um, Little little interesting facts on uh, every page. Uh, yeah, in general, I liked it. Thought it was a really good book. Very good. Um, made me made me want to read more about World's Fair. Good well, mission accomplished. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I would say if I had to sum up this book in one word, probably captivating is the word I would use. I think this book more so than a lot I've read really, really brings you in sort of the textbook definition of a page turner. Uh, I think the way the suspense is set up, I think the way it is paced, I think the way the stories are interwoven, I think the sort of just little random bits scattered throughout really overall create a captivating read that you're constantly wanting to know what happens next. And the next story is crazier than the one that came before it. Um, I think the, the way it's written is, is very good. I think the, uh, descriptive sections are very strong. I've read a few excerpts and Matt, I would be very mad if I didn't leave without, without reading one more excerpt from the book, but this was one of my favorites. And I think did a great job of setting the tone. Again, if you you're not an expert about Chicago at the turn of the century, maybe this paragraph will help, uh, talking about the city getting bigger, taller, and richer, but it also grew dirtier, darker, and more dangerous. Uh, uh, cinder-flecked smoke blackened its streets and at times reduced visibility to the distance of a single block, especially in winter, when coal furnaces were in full roar. The ceaseless passage of trains, grip cars, trolley, carriages, surreys, vistorias, bogmans, and hearses, all with iron-clad wheels that struck the pavement like rolling hammers, produced a constant thunder that did not recede until after midnight. In poor neighborhoods, garbage mounted in alleys and overflowed giant trash boxes that became banquet halls for rats and flies, billions of flies. The corpses of dogs, cats, and horses often remained where they fell. In January, they froze into disheartening poses. In August, they ballooned and ruptured. Many ended up in the Chicago River, the city's main commercial artery. During heavy rains, river water flowed in a greasy plume far out into Lake Michigan to the towers that marked the intake pipes for the city's drinking water. In rain, any street not paved oozed a fragrant muck of horse manure, mud, and garbage that swelled between granite blocks like pus from a wound. Chicago awed visitors and terrified them. That's the kind of stuff that really got me excited about this book. Was was bits like that where you're like, this is messed up, and it's awesome, (laughs) and it's great. 
So, I, of course, I picked it, so maybe I'm biased, but I really enjoyed the book. Um, I do really recommend people pick it up and read it. To me, it's the story of a world changing faster than the inhabitants that live in it, and there's just something just really, really interesting about that. On our buy it, uh, borrow it, skip it scale, this is an absolute unequivocal buy for me, Matt. I don't know how, how you would feel on that scale. Uh, you know, Sean, I'd have to agree. I, I think that if this is a, uh, you buy it. I, I, this is one that I would read uh, over and over again, just, just to have on the shelf. Every time you read it, I, I guarantee you'll, you'll learn something new. Um, something that maybe you overlooked the first time. Absolutely. I, I've only read it once, but I look forward to reading it again. I, I mean, once I was done with it, really a page turner for sure. Once I was done with it, I, I, I was uh, ready to read it again um, and just go back and kind of relive that uh, that adventure, planning the fair. and It's very exciting. For sure. Exciting times, indeed. For sure. Good. Well, there you go, Matt. Another edition of the book club in the books, as they say, pun intended. Um, do you have Do you have any idea what we're going to read next, or is it too early to? Um, I don't have any any idea, but I think that, um, you know, with with this big hit, this big success, I would not be opposed to yielding the, um, the next pick to you, Sean Jennings. Well, here's my concern. I thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I'll, I'm happy to take credit for the good pick. Although uh, I don't think I told the air on, on uh, told on the air the story of how I came to find this book, which I will tell very briefly. But I had a colleague at my last job who a, a very nice man, uh, but who I would not describe as having great taste at all. His favorite band in the world, full stop, not even close, is Linkin Park. Um, oh, so. No. Yeah, so take that for what you will. Not the most, cult, you know, from the South, not the most cultured man. Again, very nice, very smart, but just not the one who I would go to for book recommendations. But we were making small talk in a car in the Netherlands, and for some reason, I just joking throughout, oh, you read any good books lately? And he said, no, but I will tell you about the best book I've ever read. And he went on and on about Devil in the White City and insisted that I read it, that he hates reading and he thinks books are stupid, but the one book he's ever loved was Devil in the White City. And I took that as, okay, if this is the one book this dude can stand, it better be a damn good book. And he was right. So I give, uh, I give right. a lot of credit to him for, for turning me on to that. Uh, yeah, no, for our, for our next book, uh, you know, Matt, I really would like to do another... We haven't done fiction. We've done three nonfiction in a row. Uh, I would like to do fiction. Problem is I don't read a lot of fiction. So I think you and I are going to have to... I don't know if you've read any good f- fiction lately. Um... You know what? I'll get back to you on that. I think there are a couple of uh, good ones. Unless uh, maybe any members of our audience would like to suggest a fiction book that they think we should read. Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) You might just get those suggestions. I would, you know what I would love if we're just brainstorming here? I would love, we don't have to do it. I would love at some point to read like, just as an example, like Harry Potter or something like that. Like I would, I would love to do like a really popular book from a while ago that might be worth rereading or rebringing back up and looking at in a new light. Sure. I I don't know what book that would be, but I think one of these days we should pick a book that was, uh, 
uh, a, a fiction book that was incredibly popular. Popular back in the day, sure. Um, but yeah, I think if, uh, if anybody has any suggestions out there, please let us know. Um, we're always interested in reading the things. Is there any particular, I know you say fiction, but any, any particular style of fiction or author that you might be interested in checking out? Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I've talked about this, Matt. I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, just because I rarely enjoy it as much as I, and this is book, by the way, great example. You can't make up the stuff that happens in real life. And that there's just something to me more appealing about, I can make up any story, but the real stories to me are the most interesting. Now, that being said, I would love more exposure to fiction and different types of fiction, like sci-fi and fantasy. I never read fantasy, mainly because I don't like it. If you've played D&D or watched D&D with me, you know, <laughs> not fantasy, not my thing, but for the show, I would be willing to give it a shot if we had a good fantasy or a good science fiction book. I think a romance novel would be super funny. Not Fifty Shades of Grey, because <laughs> that's too easy. But I would love for us to take a, a, an alternate romance novel and read it um, at some point. Okay. Um, I would say, I think... At some point, we certainly could do some of the classics, I think would be fun. I would love to do an episode on like a, a Great Gatsby or To Kill a Mockingbird or, or, you know, one of those books they make you read in high school, which I hated most of. Um, East of Eden, I love that. I, that's one of the few books I actually did really love that I read in high school. Um, I think one of those could be fun to do. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, Matt. What, 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 what's, what's in your brain in terms of the book club? Um... I, I, I'm thinking more along the lines of like young adult slash sci-fi. Okay. Something like, um, oh, there was a book a couple years ago, Alchemist, I think is what it's called. I think you're right. I heard that was really good and I never got the chance to read it. So I would give that a shot. You know who reads um, a lot of that? Who's that? Uh, friend of the show... And our fellow podcaster Dan Miller oh, reads yeah. a lot of reads a lot of fantasy, um, and I would Could I would be a potential guest uh, guest host. He would have some great Perhaps. great suggestions for that. Okay, be good. Or we could just read Twilight. Or we could just not not. <laughs> <laughs> now, Matt, I do have to ask you. Okay, because we have to decide this. I'd rather do it on air than off. But uh, famously, for our first book club, we read Ready Player One. And as most people yeah. out there know, there's a Ready Player One movie coming out next month or this month. I don't know sure. the exact date. I think it's this month. And uh, yeah, the end of the month. Yep. The question, Matt, is are you going to make me go see it so we review it on the show? Oh, totally. Oh, no. I don't even know why that would be a question. Oh, uh... no. You're combining my two least favorite things, <laughs> going to the movies I, and I, Ready Player One. I thought we would mutually assume that that was mandatory. Oh, God damn. Like, that was going to happen. The first edition of the Up for Debate Movie Club? Yeah. <laughs> Book to Movie Club. That you know, it's one of those things. Out. you got to compare. you got to see if the movie was better or worse than the book. I, you know, I, what do you, do you have, do you have an early prediction? Is it going to be better, better or worse, you think, than the book? 
Um, because I think we we talked about this when we did that episode, but that was that was back in the fall before we've seen all the promotional stuff. Just judging by the trailer, I would say that it's going to be. Uh, the trailer made it look like it was going to be better. I think Spielberg's going to save the day. That's my prediction. Spielberg's going to save the day. Uh, this one, he's going to make it uh, a lot simpler. I, I think it's going to it's going to it's going to be much better as a spectacle than as a book, just because they'll throw in all the uh, old jokes, and I don't think it's going to be as drawn out and awkward in movie form because mm-hmm. you know um, they had that whole thing where he goes into. The, and, and like reenacts those those movies or shows or whatever. Remember the with Matthew Broderick. Yep. I, I I don't I don't see how they could do that in a movie. So I think they're gonna skip that and like maybe change that up a little bit to where like he instead of reenacting the entire movie verbatim, he he has to do something else. Because I, I don't know how. Otherwise, we're just sitting watching uh, another, like, we're, we're sitting watching him play through movies that we've already seen. Like, I, I think that there's going to be some kind of, of change happen there. And I think, uh, I think Spielberg's going to change it and make it less uh, obnoxious, I guess. Yeah, I think, I, you know, a lot of people complain that the... Uh... A lot of people complain when books get turned into movies and they cut stuff. I think this is the one book where you actually do want to cut stuff for the movie version. Um, I think that would actually make it a better story versus uh, versus what it you know what it actually was in the book. Uh, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Matt. I think I felt better once I saw some of the some of the promotional materials. What worries me is in all the promotional materials in the parts where I've seen. The real life stuff, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And all the stuff I've seen that's the virtual reality stuff, I'm like, this looks a little too CGI. And and I'm I'm concerned that it's going to go too far in that direction. The CGI is going to look really fake, fakey CGI. And I hope they tone back the references a little bit because I thought it was heavy in the book. Um, I'm going to go in with cautious optimism, um, but I I will be very suspicious if it's if it ends up actually being great. Yeah. Um, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Well, we'll talk about it right uh, here on the show, apparently. Sure. We have to. We're under obligation. We're, that we're contractually the guy, obligated. That guy tweeted us. We, we gotta, we gotta perform here. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We've got quite a, quite an audience We've that's looking forward to here. us. Yep. Sure. Super. All right. Well, Matt, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the show on that note. Uh, another successful edition of the book club. Thanks everybody out there for joining us. I uh, hope you had as much fun as we did. You can, of course, get the show on our website at upfordebate.tv anytime, including the full archive and our past book club picks. You can check it out there. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, Overcasting, where you get your podcast, soundcloud.com slash upfordebate are all great places to do so. You can also get the video version on iTunes. And of course, reach out to us. As Matt mentioned, please suggest us if you've got books you want us to read on the show or topics you'd like us to cover or have thoughts on how tonight's episode went. Let us know, upfordebatetv at gmail.com or tweet at us at upfordebatetv. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything I need to tell you about the show. 
Uh, on behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. Thanks, everybody out there so much for joining us. We'll see you next time for more great discussion here on Up for Debate.